Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to Everyday Eternal, episode number 71. Godlike. So, this is going to be consisting of myself, Matt Pavlik. Next is Julian. Hey, hey, how's it going? Eric. Hello. And our special returning guest, Hans-Jakob Godek, a.k.a. H.J. Kaiser. Hi, everyone. So, we're just going to start with our shout-outs to our new Patreons, Chris Raymond. Panayatis Ntafopoulos. Damn, why, why did you make me pronounce the hot name? <laughs> uh, Trent Bowers, and of course, the Mysterious Stranger. <laughs> mysterious Stranger, who apparently subscribed to the wrong Patreon, but we still very much appreciate it. Thank you very much, really. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Eric, what have you been playing lately? Lately, I have been playing different formats. I played quite a bit of Standard leading up to Grand Prix Portland, and then I played... I've started playing some Pioneer, finally. But in Legacy, my usual stuff, a little bit of Delver, a little bit of Reanimator. And yeah, those are my usual, my, my go-tos. What have you played in Pioneer? Is there anything that's really good? I played everything. Um, my first tournament that I played was a PTQ. A friend gave me the deck the night before, and I never played the format. And I got tenth, and it was like 130 people or something like that. And I got tenth, so I was pretty happy. It was it was uh, is it Phoenix? And the deck plays Treasure Cruise, and it felt very much like a you know like an Eternal format cantrip oh, days deck. Past. It's just yeah, it's just. Well, you have treasure cruise, so you have your one mana draw three, so that feels very eternal, eternal like. And then you have a bunch of two mana cantrips that kind of feed your treasure cruises um, and your uh, Arclight Phoenixes. So I had a lot of fun with it. It was felt really strong. I played it online for a little bit, and it felt really strong. And then it started to lose to some other ducks that started creeping up uh, on me, like some aggro decks. Uh, there's a ramp deck that I couldn't really beat with it very well and a dredge deck similarly couldn't beat that one very well so I started trying other stuff to see what what uh what felt strong so I've kind of tried everything and the deck that I'm liking the most right now is black green delirium mm. oh wow, that that's pretty mid-range actually that Matt that sounds like something you would enjoy you had me at black green mid-range <laughs> could it could it splash white uh I am too new to the format to really know how to branch out into a third color on some of these decks that play one i, I was kind of thinking maybe the phoenix deck could play could play black but i'm not familiar enough yet with all the the mana basically just say yes just say yes Yes, you could good good have you encountered any sea trinos in the format i don't even know if they are legal from counts of track here i haven't seen any and i also don't know if it's legal <laughs> oh it should be legal right if treasure cruise is legal not i think, think it is it. yeah but i haven't seen anybody play it well, Matt, I'm you gonna know start uh, working on that uh, after this podcast. Uh, Julian, what have you been playing? I, I, actually, I played quite a bit of elves lately. Um, I jumped back into it when I saw people doing well with it, and I felt like, hey, come on, let's just play it. It's always so much fun. And I played the list with uh, reclaimers, so I played four elfish reclaimers. And thus far, like, I don't want to jinx it, but I played something like 20, 25 matches, and I haven't met a single plague engineer yet, which is like the main reason I, I felt so discouraged to play the deck. Uh, the first time I played it, I immediately got the 5-0. and uh, That's actually on my YouTube if you want to check it out. Uh, overall, I'm not sure if I'm going to stick with that exact build that has been popular lately. I think I'm going to go back to at least including the Reclamation Sage again. I lost a couple of matches where I felt like that. Uh, damn. <laughs> if only I had that Reclamation Sage. And I might add some Nettle Sentinels back again because it's actually quite hard to to kill them sometimes on the turn you go off when you don't have Nettle Sentinel. But overall, if, like, the numbers of Plague Engineers 
well, if that number stays as low as it has been for me, it's that's going to be great. I, I really want to play that deck again. So that's what I've been doing. Cool. And then, Matt, what have you been playing? Well, Matt, <laughs> uh, so I've been playing a little teeny tiny bit of pre-modern, which is, a I don't know how big that format actually is or isn't, but basically old border only. Um, just been playing around with some friends locally. I was just playing a little bit of uh, survival, a little bit of rock, and just having a little bit of nostalgia, 2003, throwing away all the 8th edition cards into the garbage. Because <laughs> You know, it was Returning just, Nightmare Survivor? Exactly. Just having a little good time. Just enjoying it. So what are like the best creatures that you have to, to survival up and get into play at this point? If, if you Spirit, only play Old Bordered. Spirit of the Night is pretty good. Oh god, dude, really? <laughs> Raya, That's, cool. That's Raya, super badass. Raya Dawnbringer, so you can keep recurring all your guys. Um, uh-huh. Crater Verdant Hellion. Force? Cr- yeah, Verdant Force is good. Crater Hellion is also good. Because you have anger, you put anger in the graveyard, right? And you have Crater Hellion comes in and like four damages everything, and then you swing for six. It's 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 quite fun. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> that sounds pretty much like every Timmy and Johnny's wet dream playing it, like that. It is. It reminds me of a simpler time in my life. Oh my god, dude, that's deep. <laughs> what have, what have you actually been up to lately? Um, you just told me about all the a couple of acquisitions that you've made. I've made some personal acquisitions. Um, well, I mean, school's finished, training is finished, working, working a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, bought, bought some new stuff. <laughs> okay, let's not get into that. <laughs> I bought a piece. Of, the- I bought a piece of magic art recently. Uh, my first piece of original magic art, and that piece is from Morning Tide, or is it Lorwyn? I can't remember. Uh, pulling teeth. That's the most random thing you could buy. Actually, I don't know what it does. Neither Where do, do you I. get it? Do you it's get a garbage it, like, card? Online? I bought it from the I bought it from the artist, uh, Jim Pavlik. So it's a good last name, good strong last name. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously. Okay, so actually... for anyone wondering, it's actually a sorcery, a colorless and a black. Clash with with an opponent. If you win, target player discards two cards. Otherwise, that player discards a card. That's like the worst Tim Tutorial I've ever seen. It's garbage. But again. If anyone's gonna own the card, pulling teeth, it has to be a dentist. So, I uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> so I offered uh, the artist. He was looking for a certain amount of money, and then I think he got a lot of offers. And I basically messaged him privately and I said, "I'll give you slightly more money to not auction it." And he said, "Okay." And I think I did just fine for a piece of. You should just artwork. have given him like a discount on on his next treatment or something. That's what I offered him, but he's actually in Portland, so uh, in. It's not, actually not that far away, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. But anyway, so when he needs something, he'll call me. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So and that's about it. Um, other stuff that I will not talk about on the channel. Um, so <laughs> let's so let's go back to our special returning guest. H.J., so H.J., you were the last on the cast on episode 45, which was essentially forever ago. I think uh, Death Ride Shaman was probably still legal, Sensei Divining Top was probably still legal, but let's go over your accolades. The first person to win two Legacy Eternal Weekends. You also won the North America 2017 and the EU Eternal Weekends. And you also went 12-3 in all three Legacy GPs this year. Suffice to say, I'm jealous. Remind us about yourself. Yeah, okay. So maybe uh, <clears throat> I can just uh, just a big in, or a quick introduction. Uh, so I'm I'm Danish. 
uh, I um, started playing competitively, I think probably around like 2008 or what I played tournaments, I guess being competitive is probably not uh, correct to say. Uh, sort of gradually shifted to Legacy and I've been playing mostly Legacy since I think 2012 at this stage. Um, I work for Big Multinational, which means I get to travel a lot, which is probably also why you see me attending a lot of Legacy events across both the US and Europe. So I think this year I spent uh, three months in the US, two months in India and the rest in Europe. Uh, and I'm heading off to China next year. Um, within sort of the uh, the legacy sphere, I tend to be an expert of sort of blue blue fair decks. So I'm uh, my results have mostly been playing Delver and Miracles, uh, and I can probably also pick up a control deck fairly comfortably. But you know, don't 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 ask me to play something involving. Uh, uh, Chalice or, uh, you know, uh, Sneak and Show or Storm or something of a dredge, I'll probably not do less well. I remember when you were watching me play at Bologna and I, I turned around after the match was over and I tried to explain to you something in the game and you were just like, dude, I have no idea what's going on on that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, Julian, the, the decks you play uh, tend to sort of Give me that itch in my finger where I really want to press a red button and just wipe the board clean, just to simplify the universe. Yeah, I get that a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> I think I have done that against you a lot, actually. Yeah, remember when you lost your chase to my my dry double and the Bazaar of Moxen Super Finals? I will never forget that. I, 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 I don't... So, I feel like I had actually managed to forget that until a while ago, but I don't feel like you were going to ever let me forget it. Haha, <laughs> definitely. Especially not that now that you're the first, basically two-time. Do, do we still call it the Legacy World Champion when people win the tournament weekend, even though it's like two or sometimes even three times a year? Yeah, we'll call uh, it World Champion. We'll give it to you. I actually, by the way, don't think I'm unique. I think Roland Chang actually has won two, although that's of a, a slightly, uh, if you will, uh, longer time horizon. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely the first to do it like, on two separate continents. Didn't he win it on like in Vintage and Legacy? I think he won it in Vintage with Merfolk, unless I'm mistaken, and then he, he won Legacy with something else. I thought you were the first well, double Legacy champion, but he, you're not the first double Eternal Weekend champion. Ah, uh, that might be true. That might be the case. Let's just let you take your trophy and, you know, just pretend you're yeah. unique. But speaking of your powers, <laughs> how do you become like? How did you become as powerful as you are? I, I was wondering if that you know there's like a painting of you somewhere around that that's making all those misplays for you, so you don't have to. Like, how did uh, you accomplish all of this? I I, I wish I, I wish I, I feel like I probably make plenty of mis misplays. Um, I I would like for a painting that could make some of those misplays that I make instead of me. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I, I think honestly, the, the thing that's really, I think there's probably two things I would point to. I think one is that I've played a lot of legacy historically. So I have sort of gotten to the point where I have a fairly good idea of what's happening in the format over time. But then I think honestly, the big thing that's happened this year is I've just been a lot more, if you will, social and magic than, than I have previously. So I've spent a lot more time networking with people and that's resulted in the fact that I've, I've, been just playing better decks um, as much as I would like to claim that I'm a unique snowflake uh, if I look at those sort of um, really five major tournaments I've played this year four that I've done well in um, I think two of those decks I can probably to some extent say that I built myself 
uh, but even those have had a lot of inspiration from other people. So I think just um, like learning from the people around me um, and trying to, to suck in a lot of knowledge from the people who play a lot more magic than I do actually has, has probably been what's helped me break through this year. Yeah, was and speaking of inspiration, didn't you didn't you and Eric actually figure something out? I thought I, I thought I saw something on Twitter where where Eric was taking credit for for or you were giving <laughs> Eric credit for some some tech or maybe I, I'm totally wrong and I misunderstood. Well, I mean, so I played uh, Eric's deck in in Bologna. So the Grixis deck that I played, where we both played to twelve uh, three finish, uh, was uh, literally me on the day before as being dissatisfied with my deck. So I, I asked around, I talked to a, a few people and Joe Brennan pointed me to Eric and said, Eric's got a good Grixis Delver list. And uh, Eric uh, was nice enough to ship me that list on the Friday before the GP and I played it. Uh, and I think a lot of the shell of that deck is what it was then and a lot of the discussions that we had following that GP is what built into the list that I won Eternal Weekend. Yeah, that's what my comment was. It was uh, it was reminiscing about a dinner that we had where me and HJ were discussing some of the holes in the deck, and I was showing and I was telling him that I couldn't really figure out the the control matchups, and I gave him kind of a stack of cards that I was considering, and he just loved the Bedlam Reveler, and that's where he came up with this genius sideboard plan, which, by the way, I was very skeptical of some of it. And I tried it. I loved the Bedlam Revelers. I switched over to those right away with with you. And then I, I when I saw the Mystic Sanctuary in your sideboard, I was quite skeptical. But when I finally played it and played against an Oko deck, and I cast uh, Painful Truths like seven times in two games, I was one hundred percent on board with you. That's disgusting. <laughs> that is uh, that's a lot of the uh, so that's a lot of the reaction that I've got from from other Legacy players who picked up the deck, Eric. It's it kind of. And it's a close to what my, my personal experience of playing the deck was. So you look at the plan, you think, hmm, this is okay, this must be decent, let's try it out. And then you just start drawing free so many times each game, and you just it, it just goes crazy. And your dazes all say draw three on them? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, it's, and it's just, I mean, there's, Legacy is a, is a format where, uh, like, there's so much card economy and there's so much exchange of resources. Like when you've drawn six cards, when you've ancestral recall twice, like there are very few decks in Legacy that can beat that. Truly amazing. Moving on. Let's just go about the deck list. Yeah. Let's just okay. go about a couple of uh, interesting choices for the deck list. We already talked about the Bedroom Revelers, and I, I really enjoyed those um, because w when I play against a deck with like a control deck, and I see you without like a threat on the table, and maybe even somewhat down on cards. And I'm sitting behind my Pyroblast, and I don't even know, like, Wait of Summer or what have you. I'm feeling like, okay, this driver deck is never going to come back. But then you bring something like Bedlam Reveler into the mix. Or even after sideboarding, um, like we talked about, Painful Truth into Painful Truth into uh, well, sometimes even a third Painful Truth. I feel like this deck has a lot of grind potential. It's, Eric already mentioned how that's the plan against Control. How, has that been working well for you? Like, what, what would you say are your toughest matchups like what what are you trying to to dodge and where do you feel very comfortable in playing against i mean that that's kind of the hard question we i mean we call the deck the honda civic because it's like good reliable and and <laughs> not very weak to anything but do you see any holes that maybe people could exploit 
Oh, it's hard to say. I'm not even really sure. Uh, I think maybe I, I, I want to call back to that conversation Eric and I had about the deck um, because really, I mean, we both sat there after the GP. We both got an X, X3 with the deck. Um, I was obviously Eric had a really strong run with it before that. Uh, Eric, you can probably speak more to that than I can. Um, but I was very generally very impressed with the deck. Uh, it felt like it beat, you know, I think you, you're right in sort of calling it on the Civic, right? It's, it's very consistent. Uh, it beats bad players and it beats bad decks all day long. I like how you crush your fist on the table as you say that. Yeah, I, I, I do. I'm kind of like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> no, uh, the, the decks that it has trouble uh, with is really, um, it had trouble with control before we built the sideboard plan. That was, like, I got crushed by the Thomas Marpile uh, played by Nicholas Holtman at the, at the GP. Like, it was not even close. It was horrible. Um, it has, it can have tough times against death and taxes, although I think, I'm guessing with this build it's favorable, but, but I honestly, I, I don't know, I haven't played enough to really be sort of certain. It's for sure a matchup I don't really want to play against. And then, um, the card Tarmogoyf, so, um, <laughs> Bug, Bug Delver is, uh, is, is tough because they play a ton of Tarmogoyfs and a ton of Gurmaganglers. And we and the games go long, and we just cannot deal with them very profitably. So I think that's I would guess that's where I would guess well, that's where young pyromancer comes in handy, at least to, to generate a ton of blockers. Yeah, but it's I mean, and, and that's somewhat true. But I think also the the nature of the Delver Mirror is you end up trading a lot of resources, and you're very low on resources. And what that means is um, you don't really get to run amok with pyromancer very often. Uh, the, the sort of the standard thing that happens with Pyromancer is you play it and they fatal push it, or you play it and you have nothing else and you hit them for two. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. it, it's sort of an answer and it, it, it can happen, but it's not. I, I'm not sort of, and I, I you know I put more, more Pyromancers in there to hope to get lucky in that scenario, but it's not super ideal. Okay, and how about the two Brazen Borrowers? I think that that uh, that card went from. Yeah, maybe to an actual mainstay in the format that we see across multiple decks. I mean, it's just been fantastic. So I played it, and uh, I played Bug Delver in in the U.S. Eternal Weekend this year. Uh, which um, I mean, kids don't 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 do that at home in random six beta. Uh, I would not recommend that deck. Uh, but the Brazen Borrowers were very very impressive. Um, so that tech was wonderful, um, and I, I, I mean, that was immediately one of the things that drew me to the list when, when Eric shipped it to me. Uh, they just do a lot of really flexible things. So we talk about it being a good deck for broad meter game, but that's where Brayton Borrow pops in, because it helps deal with chalices, ether vials, ensnaring bridges, um, like all of those things that as a Delver player you just cannot win against. Um, because you now have Brazen Borrower in your deck, you go, whoops, I have this card, and then you win. Um, and by the way, also is one of the reasons why I think um, Dark Depths is really starting to fall off of the map. Uh, like, I, I, I'm, if, I think you're probably crazy to play Dark Depths in this meter game. Um, and the Delver decks all playing <laughs> Brazen Borrower is a part of that story. Yeah. I guess that I guess you a lot of lot of room when when you not only are able to bounce the token, but once they actually reestablish it, you can also block it. So they gotta remove the brazen borrower first, a lot of times. 
So what do you say? I, I guess you would say that this deck is tier one right now, but which other decks do you see up there? Like, what, what do you think are the, the top decks to choose from in the metagame right now? How, how do you see Legacy? Yep, so if I'm if I'm sort of preparing right now, and bear in mind that I feel like the metagame is actually still very open. Like, I think this metagame is going to be in a different place in a couple of months' time. Hashtag wide open. <laughs> yes. It's very, uh, I, I mean, the metagame has not settled yet. Is uh, Oko and Astrolabe broken? I don't know. I don't think the metagame has proven that yet. Is Grixis the best Delta deck? Probably, but we don't know, right? There's still plenty of open things. Anyways, what, what I'm tr generally, uh, what I was trying to prepare for uh, was really uh, Delver, which comes in three variants, uh, Blue, Red, Bug, and Grixis. Probably in order of popularity before Eternal Weekend. Grixis will probably rise after this. Then there's sort of the Oko decks, which is uh, really, for me, it's sort of the, it's Miracles, and then it's the Thomas Mara five-color check pile, I guess we should call it, given that it's yeah. the check, um, as well as all the sort of in-between versions of that. You might um, call it the, the Team Seychelles pile, because it's basically playing all the colors. <laughs> oh, it's. Uh, I think it's just. Uh, I, I think Thomas's uh, approach to deck building is probably uh, you get the uh, the seventy five best cards in Legacy, and then you just adjust the mana base afterwards. It's kind of how I cube draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really good explanation for how Thomas actually arrives at the stacks. I think. So, but I, but it works. I, I think that deck is heavily underrated. Actually, it's it's. Um, if I was not playing Grixis Delver, that's probably the deck I would pick up. Uh, and then, I mean, that shell really is not settled, what that Oko control shell looks like. And there's all sorts of things in between of, of what it can happen. But I, I, I try to think of the Miracle deck and the Thomas Ma deck as sort of the two polar points of that. Mm -hmm. um, then there's Death in Texas, which is not super, super popular, but is very strong. And again, it's, it's uh, I mean, if a good player is playing Death in Texas, it's, it, it can be hard to beat. This graveyard combo, so Dredge and Hokak, which again are not super popular, but most of the top end of the format are really soft to it. Um, so, so that can get kind of scary. And then there's various combo decks. So that's sort of the way I segment the meta game at the moment. Um, again, it's open so and it's legacy, so you're always going to see a whole bunch of different stuff as you turn up. But that's sort of what I'm trying to prepare for. So that means I need to really do my work now to push Nick Fit. Up into something that you need to prepare for. Yeah, I got my homework I'm, cut out for me. I, I, I'm gonna be honest, but I, I am not. Um, I'm not expecting to face Nick Fit after round four. Uh, at least I have not seen a build <laughs> that I would expect to see after round four. I mean, we just had kind of Nick Fit without the bad parts in the finals of a GP, right? That, that's what people refer to Tristan Tristan Purchase's um, Buck Oko Senate deck. It, it had a lot of Nickfit elements. It just didn't have the Veteran Explorer accelerate. It just used straight up uh, Gilded Goose and Noble Hyrax. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, it's very interesting. I haven't played that deck, but I also haven't really played against it. I played against it once at Eternal Weekend, but I, I haven't really seen people picking it up. I don't know if that's because it's you know, this is legacy and the deck looks a little bit foreign and they're just not picking it up or it's because people have tried and not had success with it. I'm not exactly sure about that. I'm guessing it's the latter. I tried it and it was... I mean, the player who Tristan got second is knows what he's doing with the deck and 
it's obviously a powerful deck, but uh, there was just some things that it didn't that didn't meld with me, and so I didn't I, I didn't have a lot of success with it. It seemed a little bit removal light. It seemed to lean a little too heavily on on Oko, um, and that's three mana. So that was my issue with it, and I wouldn't be surprised if other people had trouble, you know. Or they didn't feel like they were getting... They, they were crushing people. Sometimes, you know, you try out these decks that you see in the top eight of a GP and just crush the GP and you and you go in and you, and you like, struggle to 3-2 a league with it and you're like, well, it's not what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, the deck is certainly built to really abuse Oko, right? It has, yeah. I think, eight accelerators, counting Green, green Sun Sunnet, and plays four Okos. And if you don't hit Oko, at least you get to hit something like, I don't know, Cursor of Crufix or something, or, or even Leovold. So th- that's something I like about the deck. I see your argument about like the lack of removal. On the other hand, you also have four Okos, which is somewhat kind of removal, like not exactly, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I kind of like the deck. We talked about this, I think, on a previous episode. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing more of the deck. I, I think it's a pretty healthy deck to have around. It, it doesn't really do anything super broken. It's just like good legacy. I, I say that now. I'm going to come back to the next cast and complain about how I lost to it. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's actually it's more of a Green Sun Senate deck than it's really a bug deck when you look at it, right? I mean, it has more, and I, I think it probably plays more like Maverick than it does a traditional bug control deck. Yeah, fair, fair. I mean, if you think about it, people sometimes say that that Nickfit is the next step, like the next step on the greed ladder, or maybe two steps uh, up from Maverick, and this one just dials it back a little bit and adds Brainstorm and Blue Cards and Oko, and that I guess that's how you arrive at that. How you arrived there? That's probably why I struggled with it too, because I I cannot I cannot do well with Maverick decks. <laughs> you, I'm gonna send you a, a donation or something. Yeah, I want to see you play. I think you actually played Maverick on stream before. I'm oh, I've sure. played it many times. It always takes forever, and I always lose a lot. <laughs> That's true. That's actually true. Um, I noticed when I played Maverick, my matches, even like when I feel I'm playing at a very decent pace, and even when my opponents play like as a decent pace, we still struggle to finish matches. And I I've been wondering and thinking about this after the gp like not only did i have that one really annoying um well uh, unintentional draw in the very first match but overall the matches tended to go really really long and i think it's just the nature of the beast right now with maverick this it incentivizes opponents to use all the time they are permitted to use a lot of times and also like it also makes you think a lot about stuff and even if you play like a decent pace, the matches they 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 go really long. I don't know about that. Maybe I should really I, try to. I think what it is is that in elves you have one attack phase where you kill them, and then you're like you're dead. Yeah, and compared it... to elves, like the elves can also play like really long games, right? But overall, um, elves also makes up for that by sometimes having like just five minute games. That's true. That's exactly. So I think I think a lot more times with Maverick or a deck like it, you're just grinding out those multiple turn. It's a lot of trading back and forth, and eventually, ten turns later, ah, you know that decision you made really, you know, paid off, and that last yeah. attack finally gets them. You know, it also yeah. shuffles probably twice as much as any other deck. And it's it's kind of the monastery mentor effect, right? You put monastery mentor in your deck, and one of your free matches is done in ten minutes, and that leaves <laughs> hold for your you know the other games to take longer. Um, I actually kind of yeah. want to drop it. I, I played a lot of bug land still many years ago oh, back baby. in this time era and oh lord did we have long matches versus maverick and that was the point where i got to the uh, i got to routinely 
flash my hand at a certain point of the game and ask my opponents to scoop just to finish matches on time. Oh, um, that was a good time. 2011, I want to say. That was when Metal Mystic was still around, right? Oh. Yeah. No, that was a good time because you'd go like, they it's like late game, they crack your standstill, end of turn, cunning wish for Zabo's decree, untap, Zabo's decree them, <laughs> and then you're just like, can we pack this up? Can we, can we go home now? Pernicious Deed versus Devon, Texas, and Maverick is so satisfying. Oh. It's, uh, there's nothing like you rip up the vials, the hierarchs, the chokes, the silver libraries, whatever is on the board, it just goes away. And then you oh, play Jace yeah. the Mind Sculptor, and you, you know, bounce the Night of Night, and it's so You know, good. Mark Fogt, um, the winner of the most recent GP, he's got a story to tell about that. We we had the legacy, German Legacy Championships in that year. <laughs> And he was in a top eight playing that exact deck against Marius Hausmann on Maverick. And what Mark does is he deploys the deed, but he's like, oh, I'm not going to blow the deed right away. I'm going to do it at the end of turn. So he passes the turn. And oh, no. I don't know if anyone can already sense what's going to happen, yes. but Marius untaps. And before he moves to. No, 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 no. I mean, he's got deed in play. Um, but before marius even like moves to his draw step he, in his upkeep before mark gets any chance to do anything he puts gross and grip on the board and mark no! is like oh <laughs> whoops <laughs> and that's the story of how marius became that uh, legacy german legacy champion in 2011 actually won four black border ucs and on top of that something like 500 euros because like the TO would have given him a free flight to the us to play in some star city game i don't know big tournament and he was like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to play with the Americans. <laughs> I just want the money. Give me the money. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's what Crows and Grip can do for you. What can Crows and Grip do for you? Now, <laughs> moving on to our listener questions. Question one from Stoneheart reads, what do you think about the future of Legacy? Will it go the way of Vintage and have proxies? Be a part of conventional tournaments? Will Wizards get their head out of their ass and eliminate the reserve list? So I guess, HJ, you can start with that question. So what do you think about the future of Legacy, and how do you feel that proxies in the reserve list will be a part of it? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I think it's, I mean, the participation is slowly reducing over time, uh, which makes sense as people sort of stow away cards in their binders. But I, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where uh, proxies are sort of just a conventional part of the way the tournaments are done. Uh, in terms of reserve list, I mean, Wizards has had plenty of years to get rid of that thing and hasn't yet, so I somewhat doubt they're going to. I think at the end of the day, Wizards is sort of, I mean, Legacy is a format that they don't really spend a lot of time, effort, and money to support and don't really need to. Uh, it's nice for them to have because it's sort of a, an active player base that keeps the game alive, but I, I'm not really seeing them doing dramatic changes to it in any way, shape, or form either Julian? Yeah, I agree yeah I agree as, as much as I want the reserve this gun and I mean it's I guess um, the worst kept secret that a lot of people inside Wizards of the Coast also want a gun but basically can't do anything about it I think it would take something like a corporate change like some somebody else taking over the IP of, of Magic the Gathering and having like a different approach towards that or be more ambitious with that uh, to, to really see any change with regards to the reserved list. I mean, there was a lot of uh, crying for it a couple of years ago, and it didn't happen then, so I... I... I've been crying for it ever since I got into Legacy, honestly. Like, honestly, I got into it, like, 2005, and 
the real big crying started like exactly 10 years ago in 2009 and then they, they had this big gathering in 2010 where they invited Menendian and Ben Blyweiss and somebody else I always keep forgetting but when they gathered in the Wizards HQ to discuss the reserve list like literally almost 10 years ago and the result was that they actually tightened the reserve list and they, they closed the, the church foil loophole as well. Eric, what do you think? I'm, I agree with, with what HJ and Julian said. Um, it's kind of unfortunate because I think magic would be magic as a whole would be so much better without it. Um, the the Grand Prix in Bologna had like a ton of people. With con- considering how expensive the decks are to purchase, and there were sixteen hundred people at that Grand Prix, and then the Grand Prix here in Portland, uh, which is also you know reasonable destination in the U.S. at least for people to want to travel to. There was only like five hundred people playing standard compared to 1,600 people playing Legacy and the price of entry is, is massively different. Um, I think that if they removed the reserve list, they could hype up Legacy GPs and people would be really happy about playing like Legacy paper events and then they could focus on Standard on Arena and then people wouldn't... Well, anyway, yeah, I, I think it would be better for Magic as a whole. But uh, the way things look, they're, they're not planning to do that and I don't see why that would change because people have been talking about it for so many years now and there's been no no word of anything other than nope not going to change so probably won't i think this would be a good um, point to shout out jeremy of missouri mtg who's gonna run three big tournaments this year to support the legacy scene and he's gonna do like two 20ks and one 40k in missouri i think northern missouri if i'm not mistaken uh, spread out over the years the first one already sold out but you might still be able to to basically still sign up for it in february when slots open up again and just so that people don't misunderstand he's very well aware that he's gonna lose a ton of money on these like the the price payout is bigger than he's gonna take in even if all the events sell out so he's he's making this huge effort because he loves the format so much and he wants to support the community so definitely show him some love i've seen him getting like some shit on twitter for whatever like people were like i don't even know they complained about the event selling out too quickly like dude this is like he's already losing money if if he can get guaranteed attendance the earlier the better i, I say so yeah, show him some love. He's he's doing a lot, like a lot, lot, lot. And I'm actually looking forward to hopefully flying over for the 40k next, I think summer. But the the, the exact date has not been announced yet. So yeah, def- but check him out. I think he's at Missouri MTG on Twitter. And it's not like Warhammer 40k guys. This is 40k prizes. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yes. Just to make sure that no, it's amazing. So what do I think about the future of Legacy? I think it's tough because a lot of us are aging. We're having kids. Are we? Some of us not me some of us are you know carrying on with our professional lives and it's taking us away from playing magic like we used to so i think that that's going to be an interesting thing to combat and i think same as the age of vintage players right you know we're getting older um do i think that proxies will be conventional in tournaments no i don't think that'll ever be the case i mean my friends and i use them all the time when we're testing but it's not going to be like a sanctioned tournament with proxies. not going to happen. And do I think they're going to eliminate the reserve list? Fuck no, they're not. And I, But I think that a lot of people love this format, and they want to get into it. And the magic that you get is so amazing and intricate and deep. But I just don't think it'll happen. So we just need to keep fighting the good fight and keep helping it along. Yeah, this in Europe attendance has actually been up over the last years, I want to say. Like, this year has been amazing. I think I mentioned it on the last episode already, but... 
seeing all those big tournaments in Italy and and the Czech Republic and also I think they got a lot of awesome tournaments in Spain that we often don't even hear about that that's giving me a lot of hope and of course the Danish Legacy Masters I don't even know if that happened yet <laughs> uh, that was something I'm trying to remember when uh, there was something earlier this year I've been I mean it's, it's just a death in Texas massacre pretty much I would guess uh, it's not as much death in Texas as you might think I <sighs> Thomas doesn't always play. Yeah, here sometimes he, he skips GPs to go to Taylor Swift concerts. I don't know. I, I, just a yeah. rumor. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's doing with his life. Uh, probably being a professional lawyer somewhere. But uh. So next, next question, also from Stoneheart, was what does he, I'm assuming that's AJ, do in terms of tournament preparation? Any special foods he takes with him to the tournament hall? AJ? So I, I'm probably going to be very boring on this question. Uh, in terms of the on-site stuff, nothing particular. I could probably do better. I, I guess uh, keep eating and keep hydrating uh, is probably uh, roughly uh, what I do. The more the older I become, the more sensitive I get to actually sleeping. So <laughs> that's probably uh, something that I try to do but don't always succeed in. Um, I think in terms of preparation, we talked about it a little bit before, but I think this year really for me um, – a lot of a couple of the tournaments, I actually haven't had a lot of time to prepare. So, like for um, Niagara, I think I did a total of like ten or fifteen matches before I turned up. Atlanta, I literally was given a deck. I picked up a deck the Friday before the event and just played it. So I, I think I play less than what I used to. But on the other hand, I spend a lot more time talking to people who play more than I do. Just trying to figure out, you know, what are people having success with? What does the meta game look like? What is uh, sort of what's what is my spin going to be on that, or what what part of the streams am I going to pick up on? And really trying to be more hypothesis based in the way that I approach my testing. So rather than test everything in the universe and just play a ton of magic, put a flag down and say, okay, so I'm going to be playing either A, B, or C. And these are the particular sort of questions that I have around uh, specific matchups or specific decks that I'm going to try and get clarified either by playing myself or which can be just as useful talking to other people who play to just get an idea of what works and what doesn't. Um, so that I can get to the, the, the actual stage where, you know, I, I don't just have a 60 card deck, I have a 75 card deck and I have plans against my matchups. So. I think that's probably really being more active in networking and trying to learn from other people is probably the big thing that I've done different this year that I've really felt has paid off for me. Awesome. And is you moving to China uh, soon? Is that any indication that you're also looking to basically complete the triple and also win Eternal Weekend Asia if they ever announce it? Oh, I would, um, you know, I, I feel like I, I kind of have to try at this stage. So uh, I don't know if that's going to be possible, but uh, I will uh, certainly try and see if I can get a trip to uh, to Japan to get get to do that one. Uh, I still also have to figure out how uh, how living in China is and travel and visas and all that stuff. Oh, it's going to be interesting, I tell you. Yeah, uh, I'm. Uh, I hope I'm going to see you next year at the at the Beijing Olaf event. Oh, that's going to be good. I will for sure be there. That'd be pretty cool. I'd love to go to that. So I'll see if I can uh, if I can attend. Um, in terms of preparation, I would say the biggest thing that I noticed was that 
There was one tournament that me and a couple friends went to, and one person got knocked out really early, and then just basically became the personal assistant of the rest of us, <laughs> bringing us coffee and food, and, like, I'm pretty sure I did way better in that tournament than any of the others, because you're not, like, running to time every round and being like, ugh, I have no time to eat, ugh, I have no time to go to the bathroom. It would be like, somebody would bring you coffee, oh, look, there's a snack, oh, <laughs> or somebody would bring like, you to the bathroom. Would <laughs> put the catheter in, though, no, I'm just kidding, um... So I would just say just just prepare with some snacks and some water and caffeine and maybe some Tylenol before you you know before you start. So here's an interesting note for me that I've started really realizing, which is that I actually learn more about magic by watching people play than I do by playing myself. Um, because if I'm playing myself, then I'm 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 very sort of. <laughs> I'm very caught in the moment and, and trying to figure out, and I have a whole bunch of assumptions going into the match that I'm trying to operate on, which means that I tend to also, to a great extent, be playing on intuition rather than sort of be rationally playing out. Like, I have to make all the decisions. Whereas if I'm watching a game of Magic, then it's easier for me to sort of hone in on the important decisions. And so one of the things that I've found really, really useful is, is just sort of, like, sit down and actually spend the time to watch a good player play magic so if uh like taking miracles as an example which really is a deck that i've learned to play over the last two or three years part of the way that i've learned to do that is just like watch miracles players i've watched Anas Thiessen play a lot of miracles i've watched uh, anorak play a lot of miracles i've watched a number of the others of, of, of the miracles crew and that to me has been like that has been super, super useful um, because that's where you start to get those experiences where you watch a good player play and they do something different than what you do. And that puts you sort of in, in a position of asking the question of what is going on here? What is it that I don't understand? That's uh, a line that I'm not seeing, right? Exactly. Like what is their plan actually? It's, so it's really interesting. What like, I've also started to notice that um, – uh, I mean, so the Grixis Delver deck is a good example, right? It's a deck where the way I played, I played with a control, a control sideboard plan, which is the same way I used to play Team America back in the day. Uh, if you go back to uh, episode 45 and listen to that one, you can probably learn a lot about the way I play Grixis Delver today from just listening about the way I played Team America back then. But that's not obvious to someone who just picks up the deck list out of the blue but I'm really trying to play a shadow control deck in my Delver deck. The same way that if I play Miracles, um, then I'm actually, sometimes I'm playing a, if I'm playing the blue-white Miracles deck, I'm actually playing a very aggressive slant of Miracles. So it looks like I'm a control strategy, but really I'm out to jam mentors. And that's also not very obvious if you haven't watched someone play in the deck, that even the same 75 or maybe, you know, changing five or six cards in the 75 deck list, uh, can enable you playing the deck in a very different manner. I think that's part of the mastery of Legacy and something a lot of people really appreciate about the format. And that certainly took me many years to fully understand is how one of the biggest skills strategy-wise is to understand when you're supposed to switch roles in a matchup. Like you start out being the quote-unquote control deck, but as things change, you you might actually need to basically implement a change of pace because you know that 
you don't have inevitability anymore because of either like how the early cards traded or, or your position in the matchup. And realizing that and not blindly sticking to what somebody told you how to play the matchup, I think that's one of the biggest and most satisfying things that you can do in, in the format. And a lot of stuff, stuff like these these mid-range control decks, like, well, I guess Checkpile before, but also like many builds of Miracles right now, they, they are somewhat kind of like that. I mean, that's personally awesome. the decks that I, I tend to like and do well with is the ones that can switch roles. And I think, honestly, that's also one of the reasons why you Legacy really rewards people who, who stick to uh, an archetype, one or two archetypes, and really get to master it. Because there are so many matchups in Legacy that like you cannot learn eight different decks across ten different matchups to that level of mastery. You just cannot... Uh, yeah, and and you cannot if you if you endlessly mess around with the way that you build your deck, you're just never going to get to that level level of mastery. I mean, another good example is the way um I I learned playing Black Red Reanimator from the way Eric plays it. Um, I, I saw it locally, and a lot of people they basically try to to mild to the nut hand and, and just get there on the first turn. And when I started like watching Eric play, it, it almost sometimes felt like he's He's operating like a laser and very precisely picking a spot and and trying to to win on turn eight or nine, whatever. And that was like I almost want to say that was eye opening to me because when the deck first came up at some eternal weekend in Europe, I think 2016, 17 ish, um, I didn't really give much credit to the deck. I thought it was like like <laughs> the flavor of the month, and then it's gonna be gone. But um, I learned that it was not, and that's part of legacy, I guess. I mean, Eric, you can probably comment on our match in, in, in GP Atlanta here, but I, I, I feel like that, again, that's like you probably play the deck in, in both extremes, one being very, very aggressively and one being very, very passively, and knowing when to do what is probably the, uh, the where the mastery lies. Maybe you can comment here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it you have to know all the matchups, so I've taken kind of a different approach from what you were talking about, but mine's more of a takes a lot of time, and that's just jam a ton of games. <laughs> you just play like so much that you learn all the things that you can lose to in certain matchups. Um, and so if I lose to certain things or or certain things turn out to be mistakes, I learn from them, and then I just try not to do or you know then I'm not going to make that mistake. Or I see a mistake my opponent makes, and then I see that other people make that mistake all the time. And then I try and like leverage that mistake, you know. For example, with Reanimator, using fetch lands at the wrong time against Chancellors, and then being able to use the fact that their fetch land is on the stacks, so they don't have any mana to pay for your Chancellor trigger as an advantage for you, uh, is a is a good example of that. But uh, yeah, so sometimes depending on the matchup, some matchups you're mulliganing to turn one because it's very unlikely they have anything that can interact with you and if they do well then make them have it again next next game <laughs> um and then other matchups it's very likely they have something to interact with you so you need to sculpt a hand or leverage the the information that you don't have but you do have and that is that they have something and so you make them use that something you you, you know you make them use the spells that they likely have and then you combo later based on i mean you just have to set it up basically you're not like okay i'll just do this and then maybe i'll draw another entomb later i mean you you cast other spells that trick them into using the interaction that they have and then you combo basically 
Man, I'm never going to use my interaction against you again. This sounds scary. Well, <laughs> it's like, no, no, you have Christmas the interaction. It's fine, it's fine. You have to. They put them in a position where they have to use it, or, they, or, you, or they're also going to lose. I, I guess there's also a, cor- there's a corollary to when you play against Storm, right? And, and uh, if you're a new newbie playing against Storm, then you think, oh, Lord, they're going to, um, you know, they're going to kill me, so I need to have my force of will. But what I've learned over time is Storm is always going to try and get to rescue first. So actually having a force of will in your opening hand against Storm is not actually very useful. I would much rather have a whole stack of ponders because I know they're going to duress me in the first two turns. So, you know, I'm digging in for a game where they're probably going to try and kill me on turn three or turn four instead. Yeah. Yeah, when I play Delver, it's game one, I'm playing against Storm. I'll often ponder and see like a lightning bolt on top and just keep it because if I'm pondering looking for exactly a force will they're gonna duress it and kill me great so sea watch has the next question what do you think about the snow oko miracles decks or snowco miracles deck is cutting the miracle spells for more quotals encounters reasonable is main deck red elemental blast too greedy or should the deck be playing some council's judgments so we'll start with Julian first. Uh, actually, I think th- uh, those questions were all submitted to be directed straight at HJ. HJ, what do you think about that? Okay, so let me... Uh, I spent quite a bit of time preparing uh, with Miracles up to uh, TP Bologna. It was the deck I was expecting to play, actually. Um, but was not super impressed with the performance in it. Um, so I can, I can speak to some things. I think the first is around Council's Judgment. So... Um, Council's Judgment is a card that I'm actively looking to not put into my Miracle deck. Uh, I generally do not like it because it's double white. It's particularly awkward when you start to play with... Um, Astrolabe? Uh, no, not Astrolabe. Um, Mystic Sanctuary, which is a very, oh, very yeah. powerful card in Miracles. Uh, probably not if, coming back to the other question, you start cutting the Miracle spells. Um so, but so in that case, maybe you can do it. But I, I've never really liked Council's Judgment and Miracles. It's always been a card that, uh, you know, we, we play because we have to have some answer to certain threats in our deck. But a lot of those are now answered by Oko. So to me, actually, one of the really strong things about playing Oko and Miracles nowadays is you don't have to play Council's Judgment. By the way, if you look at what I've been playing in the last two uh, GPs, I've not been playing Council's Judgments. I've been putting unexpectedly absent in my deck, which I think I'm probably uh, fairly close to the only Miracles player in the universe to do. <laughs> but, uh, but that's uh, maybe also a little bit of personal style. Um, then there's a question around so main deck Red Elemental Blast. Well, Vale probably fills that role better than Red Elemental Blast, uh, both because it's it actually deals with more stuff than Red Elemental Blast, but also it's way easier on the mana. So unless you're trying to uh, kill Oko exactly, then I would not be playing Red. Red. And I think the mana in general is probably too poor for you to get away with playing Red. Then there's a question around, you know, cutting the miracles to play Quietless Encounters. Well... I think you can get a reasonable deck out of that, but but here's the question. If that's what you're doing, why are you not just playing the Thomas Maher 5 cover pile? Which probably does a better job of that than playing a Miracle Shell. Like, I mean, that deck really is not hurt particularly by playing 5 colors rather than 3 because of the way it's constructed. It doesn't need to hit uh, 4 basic lands in play and avoid getting wasted to have success. 
and so it gets to play more colors, and because it gets to play more colors, it gets to play better spells. So if you're not playing Miracles, uh, then why are you not just running that? Whereas if you're playing Miracles, you have to be a little more conservative around playing basics and playing colors, because you actually need to put quite a lot of lands in play to uh, be able to play your spells. I don't know that. I, I think that's probably my, my philosophy on, on those questions. Okay. And then Tubo Chasse writes, how many dazes do you keep when you board in Mystic Sanctuary and Painful Truths? And do you board Mystic Sanctuary against combo? <laughs> so this is another one of those interesting questions, right? Because I keep getting asked. Um, you know, our patrons, they have the best questions. So I have a, so um, one of my, uh, <laughs> I will, an, an unnamed, very uh, strong Delver player has put a, uh, a post to me who was like, um, and, and he asked me, so apart from, uh, so apart from control, where do you board in painful truths? And I was sort of looking and I was thinking, uh, and then, no, oh, his, his extension to that was maybe one against DNT question mark. And, and my answer was, all matchups, almost. Uh, and he was like, "But surely you don't board them in against combo." I'm like, yes, I board them in against combo. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, you you wouldn't board them in against a uh, you know um, you know an elf deck or a maverick deck, would you? I'm like, yes, I do. Like, yes, I board them in against pretty much everything that's not the mirror, uh, and that goes for both the painful truths and the mystic sanctuary. Because I'm really trying, uh, because they tend to be good in, all, in most matchups. It, actually, the sideboarding with the deck is more about what you bought out than what you bought in. Um, and, and what you bought out tends to be really, uh, I think, um, there's sort of a few packages. There's Wastelands and Dacis, which go out against all of the control decks. Uh, including the five-color deck, by the way. This was a big realization to me that if you're trying to fight the five-color deck on their lands, then you're not going to succeed because they have 20 of them. So don't even bother wastelanding them out with the wastelands. Um, then you have the removal spells, which go out against combo. Um, and then sometimes, and then there's the Force of Wills, which can leave uh, in some particular circumstances, but less so than people think. And then occasionally, if you're playing very grindy against creature decks, so different taxes, or else I will board out Delvers. And so really, <laughs> the way I sideboard the deck, the, um, you know, the, the, the grind cards tend to come in, it's more a matter of what actually goes out uh, in the different matchups. And in most matchups, I have a lot of stuff that I'm trying to get rid of, and so there's plenty of stuff to bring in. Uh, sanctuary and painful troops. So to to go back to the the question, um, do you always take out dazes when you bring in? I mean, always is always kind of a strong word, but do you usually take out dazes when you bring in painful truth and mystic sanctuaries? Uh, no, not really. But I usually, uh, I mean, so uh, again, bear in mind that I bought in mystic sanctuary in all matchups and painful <laughs> in most. Uh, <laughs> so I, I bought out if I play against control, actual control then I shave some dazes, I end up keeping two mm -hmm. just because of the way the sideboard is built, this other cards, I'd rather get rid of all the wastelands than I'd 
get rid of a few of the daces. You can kind of keep people honest and bounce sanctuary with it sometimes. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh my god, the value. I mean, it's it, it's kind of sweet, but on the other hand, when you get to the point where you can dace with your sanctuary, then, uh, you know, they're not going to let you. So usually you're just trading your dace in to draw painful troops, which is still fine. Like, I, I don't mind trading my dace for painful troops. But Isn't that great? <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> I was like, I want to leave in, uh, even on the, even when I'm on the draw, I want to leave in a couple of dazes against the control decks, just because then you don't care if they counter your, your painful truths. I mean, how many times are they going to counter it? <laughs> but I mean, but, but they bought out their force of wills. I mean, they, and, and you're going to, by the time you have sanctuary, it's because you cast painful troops and then you've shuffled with your fetch land to bring sanctuary in play to cast painful troops again. It also like how are we losing this way. game? So sometimes like, I don't know painful, how we're losing it. You're sometimes your painful your painful truths will hit like um, a, a couple delvers or something, and that's like not that good. You know, like a land and two delvers. But if you can set those delvers up with by you know dazing something, and that's pretty good. Put a, yeah. put a painful truth on top. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's still it, delvers it's all in your nice. I think that's part of the reason, by the way, why I bought on the Wastelands, because I had tried to shave some of those cards, because, I mean, Painful, the grind package really only works if you make it work, which is, you know, it's no good playing Painful Troops against your Miracles opponent if you play Painful Troops and you draw, like, a Wasteland, a Daze, and a Fetchland off of your Painful Troops. That's just not going to go very well for you. Yeah, I would imagine this to be like really good if you side out the wastelands, and if you eventually get to three mana, you might have already fetched twice or something. So you're looking at like ten, sometimes eleven lands left in a deck of I don't know forty-five cards. So on average, it's gonna give you at least two, if not three, spells. That's that's pretty insane. Yeah, I mean that's how you end up outgassing the old two for one deck. Um, but I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> I did a lot of, uh, like, so a couple of funny plays from that tournament. Uh, again, people people sort of, uh, you know, poke fun at me for the painful troops. Like, I played against a Maverick player who I think hit me three times for one damage, and I managed to take myself to a grand life total of four in that matchup. Um, you were all by I, yourself. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, 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 dealt, <laughs> I dealt myself that much damage, yes. I, I played against a, um, a depth player who played uh, Bitter Blossom against me, and I'm sort of looking at him. I'm at um, I'm um, I'm looking at the Bitter Blossom. He's been beating me down with like an Elvish Reclaimer. I'm sort of looking at him like, okay, I don't know how to beat this. Um, so what am I gonna do? Okay, I'm at I'm at um, I'm at five life. I'm like, okay, guess I'm going to one. Fetch Sanctuary, painful troops. <laughs> I won that game. Like that's that, that's how you win <laughs> uh, with the deck. Magic starts with one life and nineteen bonus life, right? So it's it's all good. Hey, just draw the free cards and hope. It's like Jace for Mind Sculptor, right? You put Jace for Mind Sculptor and you brainstorm. You don't know how you're going to win the game before you brainstorm, but you're probably winning the game after you brainstorm. <laughs> it's the same thing with painful truths. You know, have trust in the fact and make sure you configure your deck in a way that the cards that you draw of your painful truth can get you out of those painful slot spots. 
honestly, hearing you talk about the deck and also hearing Eric talk about the deck when we were in Bologna, I'm feeling so drawn to it right now. And that actually means something because Grixis is by far my least favorite. Actually, it's Mardu, <laughs> but Grixis is a close second. I hate anything Grixis, I hate anything Mardu. And like you guys really make me want to play that now. And that that's amazing to me. But think about this, Julian, right? First, you draw three cards and it feels really good. And then you do it again. And sometimes you do it again because you either draw another one or you go Bedlam Rambler. I almost <laughs> want to bring in Leyline against you. It's like you're playing Vint. Oh, Leyline is super scary. I don't want to yeah. play against Leyline. Please, I, I, I get crushed by Leyline because it kills, it stops uh, Arcanist and uh, it stops your uh, Bedlam Rambler. Bedlam like I bought, if you have ley lines on the board, you should board the ley against Grixis Delver. And you can't even get rid of them. Uh, I mean, you can brace and borrow them, kind of. But oh, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the card Rested Beast is super, super scary, and and the ley line is kind of obnoxious too. Like the being an actual Delver deck is the weakest part of the deck by far. <laughs> uh, like the the the, you know, you're being very successful when you're either going crazy with Arcanist or you're going crazy with Bedlam Revel and Painful Truth. Those are the powerful parts of the deck. It's not playing Delver and just going the distance. Like any well conf- a well configured deck in Legacy can beat Delver of Secrets, <laughs> except for Delver. <laughs> well, except for the actual, you know, Delver mirror. But yeah, then uh, Delver. That's the only reason you play the actual Delver card because of the beer. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also it's a nice sort of backup strategy. Like yeah. I've, I've really tried removing Delver from my Delver decks, and usually does. It doesn't work. Losing more. I've tried but, to. It never works. I mean, that's I, I mean that's how you end up being Thomas Ma, right? Um, he, I, I think I told the story before. He when he when he developed Checkpile, the deck used to be a Delver deck, and he got greedier and greedier and greedier and played even crazier <laughs> and more late game cards, and eventually just ended up cutting the Delvers and just was like, okay, dude, just give me all the value and the power, power greatness at any cost, pretty much. But it's interesting, Julian, because him and I were actually doing the same thing at the same time. But just going in sort of different directions with it. I think where we diverged is that he just got such a huge grotesque love for the card Baleful Strix that that sort of defined his entire deck building, uh, which was a That's card true. that I could never really, really find love in my heart for. Uh, even when I cut the Dellas. And that's probably why he had more success with it back in those days than I did, to be honest. Never thought about it like that. But moving on, we got a question from one of our patrons, Scott Monroe. How do you feel about Chalice in an Oko format? Ch- uh, Scott is thinking about leaving one in the wishboard of Bomberman and cutting the rest of the main deck entirely so he can free up more slots for one-drops in the deck. So, uh, HJ, do you have any, any thoughts about that? So you can probably imagine that I'm very heavily biased here. Um, because if I'm playing Legacy... So if I'm going into a legacy tournament, it's because, correct or not, um, I believe that I can win the tournament by being better than my opponents. If I don't feel like I'm better than my opponents, you know, how am I ever going to win that tournament? Uh, so I kind of have to believe it whether it's true or not. And if that's the case, then I want consistency. And how do I get consistency? I play Brainstorm and I play Ponder. And if I'm really good, then I play something like a Miracle stack that also plays Ponder and also plays Predict or Accumulated Knowledge. So when I'm playing like 16 cantrips in my deck, um, and that's not consistent with playing Chalice. 
So I think actually you're probably in general handicapping yourself in a legacy tournament by putting the card chalice in your deck. Now, specifically in terms of Bomberman, it's a little difficult to judge uh, because I don't know if Bomberman is... Does the deck need to play Chalice to be a good deck in the first place? Uh, I honestly don't know. I've never really played a lot with Ancient Tomb decks, so it's a little hard for me to have some strong opinions on it. But I, I, I doubt Chalice is systematically weak or stronger now than it, it's always been. I think the what he's getting at is that uh, Chalice is easily turned off by Oko, so all these um, cantrip-heavy control decks that used to have problems with it can just get to turn three and basically have a three or four off in the deck that outright removes Chalice. So he's so here's thinking my about question, it. Right? I mean, if, if Oko is getting is killing your Chalices and you don't believe that Chalice is good, are you then playing the right deck? Like That, that would be the question I would ask mm -hmm. myself. That's actually a really good uh, way to think about it, I think. I actually didn't consider that. Like, because, you know, I really like uh, Bomberman and I want the deck to be successful, but yeah. Yeah, maybe instead if you're like, Oh, I want to play this Chalice. There's an Oko format. Maybe you just play more Blood Moons. You just Blood Moon oh. them out of the game? <laughs> Not sold on Blood Moon. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you didn't see this, Matt, but uh, Nicholas Hartman, he played five color control to a cash finish at the GP. And in this five color control deck, he played Blood Moon in the sideboard. Just so he can have something against lands and a couple of other decks. Like, Blood Moon, I feel, really isn't cutting it. I could be wrong, but I really think Blood Moon isn't cutting it right now. I will tell you, by the way, that one of those 12 wins that he got was against me. Oh, yeah. Did, did he outvalue you? Oh, it was horrible. That was where I... That, that match is why I started... Why Eric and I had that conversation about how to beat control. Because it was like, every time I did something... He did the same thing, except his thing drew a card while it did it. Or, like, killed two dudes or left a planeswalker on the battlefield or something crazy. <laughs> it was horrible. It was like my, my, my entire hopes and dreams were just sinking out of my stomach <laughs> as we played. I don't even remember if he crushed me with Blood Moon. He probably did that, too. But it was horrible. You sound like you have some serious PTSD. <laughs> yeah. It was, I got to meet him in the turtle wing, and he was on... Um, uh, he was on uh, uh, Cloud Post, uh, and I got to uh, I, I I got to crush him. Uh, so that was uh, that was good. But uh, redemption, it was redemption. Eric, you were gonna have something to say? Yeah, I was just gonna say that I I, I feel like the uh, the chalice uh, lock combo or not lock combo. Sorry, the chalice uh, stompy lock you know prison style deck has been getting worse and worse for for all of 2019 and probably part of 2018. And that's why we've been seeing less of it and more and more people going towards the combo aspect of the Chalice deck. So that's why the question is about Bomberman and that's why the uh, the Mystic Forge deck kind of popped up. But I I just feel like there's better combo decks and that Chalice, Chalice the Void and, and uh, Blood Moon and all of the prison style effects just don't affect enough decks to play that as your main strategy anymore uh the control decks don't care about most of the lock pieces anymore and so you're pretty much just gunning for combo and they their sideboard is completely packed with answers to those things and you're and then delver but delver can just daze and forcible your stuff so i just i feel like those decks you're not seeing them as much for those reasons and and uh and i think if you're really into that style of 
deck, I think that Bomberman is, is still a viable deck and that I don't hate the idea of cutting chalices and putting in, what's the one that makes spells cost three more on your turn or, or one mana spells like... Oh, like defense grid. Yeah, so defense grid or like Scott Monroe said, one mana, one mana spells. So I, that's my thoughts yeah. on that. I wonder if we are, as a format, are generally headed back to having these prison stompy decks as a lower tier two if not tier three thing because uh i guess matt you you were around right you, you remember when like dragon stompy came up and, yeah, I do. or even people played like angel stompy and that was always like this cute thing that you could do but it really like nobody went into a tournament thinking oh i need to be able to deal with chalice of the void and that really only ever came up after i want to say like once miracles became a deck because miracles was so powerful and like chalice was one of the cheap ways to, to try and fight it Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really feel that only ever since 2012, 13, we really saw Chalice became a card that people had on their mind when they were building their deck. And before that, it really wasn't something you were thinking about almost at all. And I wonder if we're slowly going away from that. I mean, we still have like powerful decks like Eldrazi. Eldrazi has a very high floor. And for example, I think one of the reasons that Bomberman is still around is good is because it is a really, really good Mentor deck. Like, I think half of the matches you win just by slamming Mentor and making two or three tokens on the first turn, and the opponent doesn't have sorts of plowshares. You get to steal wins with Chalice, but nearly not as many as you think you would. And sometimes you also, like, you mice the win, and that that's something. But overall, yeah, I wonder if, if this is something that, that's going to happen, if the format is going to be more mid to late game focus anymore and on top of that but that's gonna be a different episode i wonder whether something like natural order rock is gonna become a thing again because the last time we had something like that that was like 2011 when mental mystic was still around natural order rock was like one of the three best decks in the format and i i don't know i'm just theory crafting here but i I could see something like i don't know natural order rock being good again because this whole natural order thing it also dodges like but it doesn't really dodge whale because you still have to protect your natural order. But you also get to play your own whales and you get to somewhat dodge pyroblast. Uh, but yeah, that, that that's something that I haven't figured out yet. But I could see moving in that direction. I mean, it feels like Sandin- Green Sun Sandin is really having a renaissance at the moment. As as a card terminal starts fading out of the meter game, then, then the card Green Sun Sandin becomes a lot better in its various different types of shells. Oh, that's something I'm certainly happy about. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, moving on, um, Pair of Slacks, uh, another one of our supporters, he's got a question. uh, What's the most insane play somebody has ever made against you, HJ? Is is that a too open question, or is there any situation you have on mind? Oh, uh, I I mean... (laughs) Uh, I've been drafting Vintage Cube the last uh, bit of time. I've seen a lot of crazy plays made there. Someone primeval typed me on turn two yesterday. That was kind of scary. Um, <laughs> you got to ask in modern or in legacy or in oh in cube you said right? Vintage Cube, <laughs> Vintage Cube, Vintage Cube. Yeah. I think the craziest play I've ever made was in, in a Vintage Cube draft. Was um, also was many years ago. Was I played an? Uh, I think it's like a black creature deck and he had like five or six dudes i was about to die i was playing the usual you know i, I think we talked about it earlier we just uh, draft all the good cards and mana accelerants make the mana work later kind of deck <laughs> and I, I i was sort of i'm up against the wall and i put enlisted worm on this deck and enlisted worm starts flipping and enlisted worm flips fact or fiction 
And fact I've or also fiction? Don't know. And listen, Worm is the one who who that does um, Cascade, right? Yeah. It's uh, like a 5-5 Cascade 4-6. So that card cascades into Fact or Fiction. Fact or Fiction flips Time Walk, which I, you know, we cast. And then I cast Yorkmoff's Will, and we do all of this again. And I think I went from having, like, two cards in hand and being dead on board to my opponent having, like, nothing. I having an Enlisted Worm, a Bogarden Hellkite, a uh, full grip, and having had, ta had taken, like, three turns in a row. I think that's probably like the craziest thing I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, that certainly qualifies. Um, moving on to the next question um, from Pair of Slacks. Best tip to offer for players new to the format? Like somebody coming into Legacy, probably like somebody who's got reasonable experience with competitive magic, but hasn't really played a lot of Legacy. Is there anything you, you would want to tell them? Uh, find two or three reasonably adjacent decks. So like Again, Miracles and Delver is a good example. Show and Tell, Reanimator, like, I don't know, play Four Color Loam and Dark Depths. You know, something that overlaps someone in the playstyle and the types of cards that you need to get. And then watch the good players in the archetype play the deck. Watch how they sideboard. Watch how they play. Watch what cards they put in their deck. And just, like, become very good at that at that sort of, at two or three niches. Not one deck, uh, ideally two or three decks, because, you know, sometimes your deck is going to be poor and sometimes it's going to be good, so you, you want to be able to switch, but, you know, and, and by all means, you know, feel free to go to a tournament every week with a different deck the first 10 weeks just to, and just borrow some decks just to learn what you want to specialize in. But, but really try and pick a specialization so that you can go, get to a level where you're really good at what you do. Um, awesome. I think that would be my advice. Yeah, I think that that's already pretty good advice for anyone looking to to level up in the format. I agree. Um, we have we have one last question from Max Gilmore of minmaxblog.com, and I actually put this question last because I think it's probably the deepest we have right now. Um, but yeah, let, let's just go straight at it. What things do people commonly accept as true about Legacy that you believe is incorrect? The first one I would probably point to is people bought out force way too often in Legacy. Uh, there's this common misconception. Oh, yeah. give, it, that, give it to us. I, I want more of those. <laughs> there's this common misconception that uh, force of will is a card that you should board out in fair matchups. Uh, and that fair matchups are all about grinding. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, uh, particularly like. Delver mirrors, depending on builds, are often about who gets to resolve Talmugoy, for example. And Force of Will is a really important part of picking those fights. Uh, like uh, playing Delver, playing Grixis Delver against Seven Texas, as an example, you want to protect your. One of the ways you win is by forcing Plow on uh, Arcanist, and that requires you to have Force. Um, like, there's lots of examples where Force of Will is a really powerful magic card in fair matchups. Uh, I think it just, you need to make sure that you understand what it is that you're trying to force of will. Uh, if you go back to the, uh, the last one I did on this podcast, you'll have me raving about how I used to force of will death right shamans. In I was going to bring that up. Uh, like, I mean, I, I, I remember vividly beating a Shadow's Bug player uh, who looked at me in like complete, he looked at me like I was crazy. 
when I was on the play, I mulled to six and I snap forced his turn one death right shaman. He was on the draw and he thought I was crazy and I won that match. I'll um, never was, forget that lesson. I remember watching you playing in Madrid uh, in, I think, some card market tournament. And, and you made that play. And I think you might have actually top eight or won the tournament even. And when I saw you do that, I saw everybody like rolling their eyes somewhat. And I asked you about it later on. And you said, like, of course, it's like the best card in the matchup. Like, you, you called it Deathrite Shaman Advantage. And you want Deathrite Shaman Advantage in the matchup. And that's why you will outright force it, like, without question. And yeah, I mean, the card like knows are the just moments, that broken. Like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like these are the moments where I personally leveled up as a player, where I, I I really let go of this idea that it's like all about grinding and like, oh no, Force of Her goes out, Death Watch Shaman, whatever, we, we just like stall the board and then I will win somehow. But you had like this better plan and I really like that. I mean, again, it's like, what is your plan? What are the important cards in the matchup? And are the important cards in the matchup important enough that you're willing to force a will? That's the big question. Like, are you willing to two-for-one yourself to get rid of a very important card in the matchup? And often the answer is yes in Legacy, even in awesome. fair matchups. Um, that's probably my big one. A uh, couple of others. Death and Taxes. Like, people think they can beat Death and Taxes with Delva decks, but they don't properly prepare. Like, I mean, that's one of the things I really loved about the uh, the Grixis deck that Eric handed me is there was a very clear plan for Death and Taxes. Uh, if you go back and see many of my um, Delver lists, I've usually been playing, like, playing Force Reavers as a usual thing. Um, you don't beat Death and Taxes by messing around. The same thing used to be the case with Miracles. Like, you, you need to have a solid plan if you're playing against a good player. Um uh, you know, and, and Death and Taxes is a lot better if you play against a good player than if you play against a bad oh, one. Yeah. And you will usually, if you're used to playing FNMs, you're usually used to playing against Death and Taxes players, but trust me, I'm not Thomas Enevolson. Uh, but when you face Thomas Enevolson, then you need your sweepers. Otherwise, you are not going to win. I think the last misconception that's fairly, that's a sort of current occurrence, is uh, that's sort of similar to this, is, is really sort of Hokak. Uh, I think Hokag is a very undervalued deck, probably because it's it's fairly, you know, you're playing your matchup lottery a little bit with the deck. So, it, you know, it loses a fair amount over big tournaments. But it's super scary to play against with fair decks, and a lot of people who don't know the matchup really well think that they can just jam a couple of surgicals in their sideboard and beat Hokag. And uh, quite frankly, if, you're, if your sideboard is free surgical extractions... Uh, and you're not playing Dreadhold Arcanist, and maybe even if you're playing Dreadhold Arcanist, then you've probably de facto chosen to scoop to Hogak, which can be a very fair decision, but you know, I don't think people realize how scary that deck is. I certainly do now after playing against Xavier basically like six matches and many of them being him on Hogak. How like that that's really where it hit me how dangerous that deck is and how impotent surgical extraction is against a deck like what are you gonna hit like even if you hit the bridges which is sometimes the best you will often be overrun so yeah i can certainly see that i remember eric you and i had a conversation where about like yeah i think uh, you were calling me crazy for putting a uh, leyline of the board in my delver decks no 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 i'm with you I, if you want to beat if you want to beat reanimator and hogak you should put leyline of the void in your delver sideboard i think that's the best answer i was just saying I, I was just saying I was angry that you had it the night that we played, and then you top eight a 
your top eight of the challenge the next day without it in your sideboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That probably, I, I think maybe in terms of crazy plays, I think our match that day is the shortest match of Magic that I have ever played. <laughs> you had Leyline of the Void. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so the story goes, uh, I play against Eric. This is where, you know, knowing you're playing the player and not the deck comes in. And Eric, I think you're mulling against like free or something excessive. And I, I play a turn one Delver and, and Eric just scoops. <laughs> this is game one. And then game two, and uh, so I go to sideboard. I'm like, hmm, what's Eric playing? Like, I don't know, but these ley lines are probably good, right? <laughs> and, and Eric has scoops, like, literally turned zero into the ley line. <laughs> hey, the over. timing was over in, in five minutes. <laughs> Imagine if that's the final of a cheap... I, I guess I guess if it's the finals, he, he's going to know about your ley lines, but yeah. A giant pile. So, uh, runner-up, Eternal Weekend. Um, it's an opposition-based deck with Oko and Arkham's Astrolab and Natural Orders and Force Brainstorm and then just, like, this plethora of lovely creatures. Gilded Geese and Noble Hierarchs. There's a Questing Beast. That rhymed. That was good. Ice Fang Kotal, uh, Critter with Behemoth, uh, Brazen Borrower, Archon of Valor's Reach. Um... And Teferi Time Reveler as well. Interesting. So I didn't get to see this deck being played. So um, Julian, did you uh, did you have any thoughts <laughs> on this deck? Yeah, this deck has... We've seen this deck quite a lot lately. Um, for our own opposition deck, I want to say. Uh, it also... To top... I don't know, 32 at least. Maybe even top, top 16, the GP in Bologna. And now HJ also faced off against it in the finals of Eternal Weekend. Uh, HJ, how, how did you feel about the deck? Did you know that your opponent wasn't this crazy brew? Well, I mean, I got to see Maximilian, who was uh, playing uh, my list, get defeated by him. Actually, by him. Let, let's mention his name first, um, so that doesn't go under. Uh, Gail Bailly Matre, I think. I, I'm very bad at French. Yeah, we'll call him GB Maitre. We're going with GB. <laughs> okay, you, you said that. <laughs> But yeah, HJ, you knew you were going to face him in the finals, uh, you mentioned? Yeah. Yeah, because I saw him dismantle uh, Maximilian. Um, I think it's it's a deck that really, like, it, it benefits a lot from your opponent not knowing what's going on. Like, I mean, uh, I, one of the uh, quick the realizations where I started to sort of, when I, like, I didn't, I don't feel like I really understood the matchup until really my, the sideboarding for the third game, which was, since I'd seen Maximilian play against it, was the fifth game of playing this matchup. Uh, when I started to realize the fact that he didn't actually have any had have any real removal in his deck, like he has two plows on the sideboard, um, which means that he cannot deal with, for example, Arcanist going crazy. I think he obviously did very well with it. I think there is something quite powerful 
to and there's inherently something powerful to Green Sun Senate, and Green Sun Senate together with Ice Fang Quadl is quite powerful as well. Like I think Ice Fang Quadl is a very uh, sort of that's a very win for the archetype that hasn't existed before. Um, I am fairly certain looking at the decklist that the decklist can be optimized. Like I'm not even sure that deck should have opposition in it. But uh, on the other hand, I'm not you know naive enough to believe that having played zero games with the deck, I have any idea how it should be constructed. Uh, I think this is just proof that the archetype probably works, and someone needs to sit down and do some work to figure out what the right 75 is for it. Yeah, it looks a little, like the numbers look a bit all over the place, right? Um, I, I never thought about cutting opposition, but he, he's only running two opposition in the first place, so maybe that's really just another way to close out the game on top of the two natural orders. Um and make use of of, I, I guess it's the the fair mid range breaker, because it cannot be abrupt decayed. And when you get it down and you ever untap with it, you don't even need to untap with it, right? You you're probably gonna take the game. So that's that's a nice way. I could I could actually see them going out every once in a while, but yeah, that that's an exciting deck. If if you're looking for spies, definitely check out what Gale was playing in Eternal Weekend against HJ. And and by the way, uh, both Maximilian and I got crushed by Carpet of Flowers. I think the first thing I would do with that list is there's two Carpet of Flowers in there, and Carpet of Flowers is crazy. And that deck should have more Carpet of Flowers because, like, I mean, <laughs> oh lord, when when that deck starts full of free and four mana haymaker starts Carpet of Flowering you, like it, it's uh, <laughs> that's horrible. It's really horrible. Yeah, when you have a ton of value in your deck, right? Capital Flow is going to be insane. Uh, that's that's also has been my approach to to my elves lists when I build them to be very grindy and mid rangey in games two and three. Uh, I would also always have like two Capital Flowers because that card is going to give you so much leverage and it even allows you to side out some of your mana dogs, which will sometimes die to mass removal. And Capital Flowers, I used to say. It's like a hasty Llanowarf that doesn't die to removal. I mean, uh, he had it against me uh, on the play in game two, and I think I was, like, um, I was called on turn three, basically. On turn three, he had, like, Oko, Tefri, and a bunch of dudes in play. And I, I played Delva, right? I, I had, like, I, if he plays that damn thing on turn one, I am just cold. <laughs> like... I mean, that, and then we're back to the whole Force of Will discussion, right? Is that card so powerful that he should be keeping in Force of Will just to force through Carpet of Flowers? Probably, right? <laughs> in speaking of powerful cards, um, just as we were uh, preparing the episode, there was a spoiler for the new set, uh, Theros. Uh, what's it called? Return to... No, Beyond Death. And the card that we're talking about is Underworld Breach. It's an enchantment, a colorless and a red. It reads... Each non-land card in your graveyard has escape. The escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost, plus exile three other cards from your graveyard. And on top of that, at the beginning of your end step, you have to sacrifice it. So you can basically use it the turn it comes down. And it allows you to cast any card from your graveyard by paying the mana cost and exiling three cards. Uh, that card thus far looks a little bit crazy. Um... When I initially saw it, I thought like, oh my god, this is going to break Legacy in half. Now I'm not so sure anymore, but it certainly has a ton of potential. Uh, people are still undecided on whether you can flashback Lotus Blooms and Ancestral Versions with it, but it's very likely you can't. But apparently, like even after asking um, some higher-level judges, they're like, okay, this, this construct of having escape costs plus something on top has never existed before. 
So we don't know, but it's very likely it's not going to work on Lotus Blooms. But something you can still do, and that was basically the talk of the town on Twitter thus far, you can use Lions or Diamond and Brain Freeze to pretty much win on the spot. So you would basically uh, you would crack LED, uh, have Brain Freeze in your in your graveyard. You go to you can even if, if you have the the cards in your graveyard, you can just like replay LED and then Brain Freeze yourself, for example. Or you can set it up in many different ways. The thing is. Once you get to Brain Freeze and LED, you can generate a Storm Count that's high enough to basically outright Brain Freeze your opponent. And even if they have something like Emrakul, if you have a single Surgical Extraction somewhere in your deck and you're going to mill your entire deck, you can even like take away the Aldrazis. Uh, so there's there's like many ways you can construct this to, to be good. I don't know if... if combo if it's gonna help the traditional combo deck some people brought it up as a card for for ruby medallion stompy so maybe that's something but i think the deck at a card has a lot of potential to do something broken which i don't know it's gonna be good but yes yeah. it has potential because it seems like escape is essentially flashback it's not actually but no x ex- but no exile right yeah it's more like retrace yeah or, or, or like retrace is probably the, the wrong way to put it as well because the card actually comes into play so it doesn't only exist on instant sorceries it's more like yeah <laughs> I almost want to say unearth or something so it, it's really hard to compare to anything because because it's a pretty new mechanic I think it already existed in the last set I say it some people told me they already played with it in arena but yeah there's there's gonna be potential but I guess that's not the kind of magic that HJ wants to play after talking to you for one and a half hours I get I get the vibe so this, this is basically like you. a passive play yeah you're, you're, you're talking so to the guy who's jamming uh, who will just jam the lines of the voids in the sideboard and uh, kill the, the, fool, the foolish buffoons <laughs> running around with their new crazy combo tech like I mean this is legacy you know? your, your combo tech has to be fairly broken for it not to be shut down by something like the, the scary things in Legacy is when yeah. your uh, crazy combo tank uh, starts uh, working with a grindy deck as well. That's where I start getting scared. I'm not necessarily so scared about combo getting another uh, tool to play with. Yeah, I feel like that, that was also been the thing for like when we had really crazy combo decks, for example, Doomsday. When Doomsday was a secret tier one deck like many moons ago in Legacy, it had a really strong grind plan that a lot of opponents were not aware of. But... Ever since that went away, I guess A&T still grinds pretty well compared to the Epic Storm, even though the Epic Storm, like the new version that Brian put out, has put up better numbers recently. Uh, maybe that's just part of the, the marketing of the deck that a lot of people picked it up. I, I've certainly played it against it a lot, but I, I guess the deck, the new Epic Storm, really has legs, and that's also another reason why you should really put Deafening Silences in your sideboard. Like at least three copies, maybe even four. So here's a play I made against uh, Tokoris on... Um in the, in the top eight, he, uh, he did all his crazy stuff, and um, he gave me his risk law talisman. Uh, I stopped. I said no to his crazy stuff. You know, I'm, I'm not crazy. I don't let him do that sort of thing. Uh, and then I tapped his risk law talisman, and I found my null rod, and I played it. <laughs> how did you How did you get a turn after he gave you his risk law talisman? Oh, he. Uh, you know, he thought he, he was uh, he was being young and impetus, and uh, thought he could just combo. <laughs> He didn't. Uh, <laughs> no, it was actually it was actually a really interesting play because he's uh, he plays a veil with um, just a bayou open. He, he puts it on the stack. He has oh, a badlands open, I think. 
And I have uh, Force of Will, Force of Will, and two blue cards. And I, I sort of look at him for a while. Try, one of them is dazed. I'm sort of trying to figure out if I should daze it, uh, which taps him down, and then hope he doesn't like secretly have a whole bunch of Lotus Petals hidden somewhere. Um, and enough mana. Or if I force it, or he's just trying to fake me and I should let it resolve. And I end up forcing it uh, somewhat, uh, you know, looking enough like a doubter that he thinks that I don't have something more than that. And then he tries and goes for it to try to notion me. Uh, and then I, I get there, right? So. Oh, okay, I see, I see. But the deck is really, really cold to Nullrod if you look at the deck list. Like, I mean, they're playing Lotus Petals, Mox Opals, Lion's Eye Diamonds, Talismans. I, I, there must be like 20 artifacts in there. Yeah, it hits them really hard. So so next on our... There's also another card that just came out that I just saw. Oh, which one is that? I actually didn't put it Kunaros. in the show. Kunoros Hound of Athens. Oh, the Marius Hausmann card. Oh, I remember what it does. <laughs> Uh, so it's one black-white legendary creature hound. It's a 3-3. Three, three. It has Vigilance, Menace, and Lifelink. And Menace, I actually had to look it up because I couldn't remember. Can't be blocked except by two or more creatures. Uh, creature cards in graveyards can't enter the battlefield, and players can't cast spells from graveyards. So it's a little black-white hate bear. Yeah, what I heard people say about it is that they complained that it wasn't a human, which is like a legit complaint because if it was a human, could actually find like a slot in the human stack. And another thing people complained about mm -hmm. is it having t uh, three toughness because that means you can't recruit off the guard for it. So even if it wasn't a human, uh, or I, I guess it is not a human, so if it had one less toughness, you could recruit off the guard it and it might be like a thing. But right now... But then people would still complain that it dies to Lightning Bolt and then, you know, nobody's... Yeah, we, right? we were talking about it in, like, in one of the Legacy chats and, and um, it was brought up that like in Legacy it's not really that big of a difference whether you have like two or three toughness. Only against Thalia it might matter at the time. But like whether you have two or three toughness, like having three toughness can sometimes in, for cards like this actually be a downside because you're really only going to die to Thalia, Forked Bolt, and then, then what? I don't even know. <laughs> so the, that's the kind of card that's um, my good uh, like good friend of the cast uh, Marius Hausmann would really enjoy I immediately sent it to him and he was like yes this is what I want but I think the card just suffers from being too mediocre <laughs> I want to put it like that I don't know do you see something in it that I don't see uh, I like my graveyard hate cards to cost zero mana or to be rest in peace and not three mana dogs. And not three mana dogs. Oh, hounds, I'm that sorry. die to a stiff breeze and have leave me dead before I get to cast them. Can we quickly talk about how stupid it is that in Magic we have hounds and dogs? And I know that like Maro has been pushing for unifying. <laughs> unifying the, the canines, I want to say. But, I mean, I don't get it. We have hounds and we have dogs. Like, what's the point? I mean, I guess you can make the whole joke when you cast it. When you I say, no you idea. know, I, I let loose my my dog of war. Who let the dogs? <laughs> the Is it dogs or dog if it has three heads? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how it did. <laughs> you know, there's going to be somebody who's going to put Kevin of Souls on dog, and then they're going to try to cast their hound, and it's not going to work, and they're going to quit the game. That's what I see happening. Lost a legacy player. Uh -oh. <laughs> so yeah, um, maybe maybe we move on. Um, this, was, this has been like quite the cast. I really enjoyed it. Um, 
this is also going to be the end of the year. And if, if I can really make it, like it's something like 2, 2.30 in the morning, but I'm going to try to get it out in like in the next 12 hours so people can listen to it before the end of the year. And here are oh, goals. Like I don't want to call them resolutions, but more like our goals as people, streamers, content creators, legacy dominators <laughs> in HJ's case for the next year, the year of Marit Lager, 2020. Um, Eric, why don't you go first? So I've actually set a few goals for myself since it's the end of the year, it's the new year, and that was what people were doing on Twitter. So uh, I've set a couple of stream goals, um, hoping to get 300 subs on my Twitter and on my Patreon. So like double my Patreon and uh, more than that for my Twitter. So pretty, pretty Twitch, you mean? high. Yeah, sorry for twi- Twitch. <laughs> Uh, pretty, put setting the bar pretty high, but not too high. You know, I think it's attainable, and I'm I'm hoping to do it. Um, and also to qualify for a regional pro tour and to top eight a Grand Prix. Those are my goals. Uh, Legacy Grand Prix, or are you also gonna tackle other ones? Any Grand Prix. I'm gonna be going to a bunch. I'm gonna go to, I might go to Austin for Modern, but probably not. But I'm definitely gonna go to Phoenix for Pioneer. So that's why I've been playing quite a bit of Pioneer right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be playing whatever format the next gp is and you know playing a lot of that format and trying to try my hardest so awesome so good luck with that thank you uh matt what what are your um professional and magic goals for the next year is there anything you look forward to um i look forward to going to a few continuing education conferences in warm places because that's the way to do it and uh i would also like to play more magic just in general uh just kind of now that my life is a little bit more uh, on track and a little bit more concrete and that I'm leaving less for extended periods of time I would love to play more magic on the west coast and ideally maybe play some more magic in Europe in 2020 you never know yeah how's the how's the legacy on your island going it's very small so basically not much so tried to start some things up we might start in the new year maybe getting at least a testing group going uh, I think would be really good but uh, I may have to switch to a little Magic Online to get my fix. Yeah, I'm quite sad. I've been telling because you because these blackboard duels won't shuffle themselves. <laughs> Do you know how how expensive basic um, summer basics are? It's absolutely absurd. I don't know if you still have them. I do. Oh, dude. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so good luck with that. I, I would love to see you back in Europe. Like when you were here four years ago, we had the most amazing time. And I'm also going to introduce you to HJ because you haven't made HJ yet. And he's like one of, by the way, HJ, um, Niklas Holtman submitted one of the questions that we didn't touch upon uh, earlier. He asked when you guys will get drunk together. Oh, again. I actually haven't gotten drunk with him. And I, I, it was a, uh, uh, Maybe he just thought you oh, were drunk. Yeah, I probably was. He was definitely uh, trying to get me drunk. I think um, he was. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I think resisting Nicholas is one of the reasons I managed to win that tournament. Oh wow! <laughs> that was probably one of the challenges, the bigger challenges than, uh, than the actual gameplay is uh, not ending up drinking until uh, uh, quite a bit in with him and. Ke- so four in the morning with him and Callum. <laughs> oh, that sounds that sounds pretty sweet. Um, so uh, for me, what would be my goal? It's for next year. Um, but I, I, I feel like I've been saying this for the last two years straight. But I really want to find a better balance for content creation. It's 
in like I, I have a tendency to make myself do more than I should. Like I try to do as much as I can, which often is more than I should. If if you get what I mean, like um, I really want to pick the pick my things that I want to work on, and that's primarily the podcast as well as streaming. But I. Honestly, like I can't tell you right now. I mean, that's that's the that that's that's the general idea of my resolution or my goal that I want to find the right balance for me. Um, I enjoy doing the podcast a lot. I enjoy streaming a lot, and I think I can balance that. But then I usually, you know, there's stuff on top when we do IPL that that we did for the last uh, three months almost. That was incredibly, like, I can't say hard work, but a lot of work. Like, I think I gained something like five to eight kilograms just because I, I basically at the beginning of it I, I was like, okay, dude, don't stress. You, you're going to do this with Anorak and for the next three months and you're going to make it work and then it's going to be over and then you can focus back on like living a good life. And I, I just feel like I have a tendency to be like, okay, okay, let's just do it again. And at some point you really got to figure out like, hey, what's the balance that you're going to strike? Um, I, I try to set a streaming regimen for myself where I'm like, okay, I'm going to stream like a league or two leagues, like twice a week, which is already a lot of work, and then going to do the podcast every other week. But then there's always going to be something on top. And I really try to like balance my life and be like, okay, I'm not going to do as much as I can, even though it's going to pain me, because it's going to be too much. And that's that's like prof- <laughs> that, that's not professional, right? I still have like my day job. But as a content creator, that's the balance I'm going to try to find. And privately, uh, well, Kenya has been doing really well. I'm super, super happy for how that's been working out. Uh, but I also would love to travel a little bit more again. Um, definitely want to hit the 40K in Missouri. Missouri is probably one of the last states I ever saw myself visiting. It's just like I didn't really associate anything with Missouri. But now I would love to go. There. I got to know a lot of awesome people over there. And I also want to go back to East Asia. Uh, Southeast Asia, East Asia. Uh, it's... I don't know. The last time I was in China in Beijing for the tournament, that was a, that has been one of my best experience. I want to say in my entire life, almost. I <laughs> going into detail, detail would be like too crazy right now, but that has been absolutely amazing. I think I came back as a changed human being, almost. Um, but well, you know, if you if you need a place to crash in Shanghai, then awesome, man. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're gonna say I, I know a good hotel that you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I am told that I have to register a guest with the police uh, within 24 hours of him arriving. Yeah, it's so not that easy, actually. Just uh, letting you know that. Like you, technically, I think when Wilson and I arrived last year, um, we, we had to register with the police, and we ended up not doing it. And we were like, okay, we're just going to be dead hours and not register. And yeah, it, it worked out. I haven't registered with the police, at least that I know of, um, yet in Beijing. But yeah, um, HJ, what are, what are your goals for next year as, as well, a Magic player? Like, you're not really a content creator, right? Um, unless I missed something. But like, what are your goals for next year? Yeah, I'm probably... Uh, I'm, I mean, uh, Magic-wise, probably not so much. Uh, I mean, given that I'm moving to China for work and I'm picking up a fairly ambitious job doing, let's say, a little more than what I'm, uh, I'm, I'm used to, uh, I think that's probably going to be my main focus for next year is how do I actually uh, sort of have success with that as well as just adjust uh, to uh, to living in China, which is going to be quite different. Uh, I, I am hoping to, uh, well, one, I'll, I hopefully I'll, I'll get to uh, get to know the uh, the Chinese legacy scene 
uh, fairly well, and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get to like each other. Um, if, it would be nice if I can get to go to uh, some of the eternal weekends or make it over to a GP or two uh, in the US and or Europe. Uh, so I'm hoping to get to do that. But I, I think, honestly, mostly I think my level of ambition is going to be on the, um, the work mm-hmm. side next year. Okay, awesome. Um, it's, is it going to be your first time in China, actually? I never asked. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's going to be my first time. So it's, uh, I don't exactly know what I signed up for. <laughs> I guess I'll figure out when I land. You know, they, uh, they offered me the job and I said, yes, and I'm, uh, I'm coming, but, uh, <laughs> but it's going to be really great. It's a super good organization. Um, so I'm really looking forward to working. Awesome. Best of luck with that. And I can't let you leave because we actually promised, um, that you would tell the Kevin of soul story. Because a lot of people, like I teased it in our channel, and I know it's a very long story. Maybe we can condense it a little bit. I think when you told it to me the first time, it was like almost half an hour. <laughs> but, but but can you can oh. get to the Cabin of Soul stuff? Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to tell it to you quickly. I think it's you don't, you don't need to rush. You don't need to rush it. But basically, um, what what is the setting? You you played in a team tournament. Which kind of tournament was it? Okay, so we're playing. Uh, so this is the uh, team event in um, at the U.S. Uh, Eternal Weekend this year, which is where uh, you know, having scrubbed out of the main event, this is my uh, th- this is uh, for the second year in a row my uh, my big sort of you know this is my hurrah moment. I'm playing with uh, Brandon Chang and Eric Virgo again, second year in a row. Great guys. And uh, we have somehow managed to win um, whatever four matches of Magic, and we're in the last round. And we're playing de facto the finals, but it's in Swiss uh, of the team event. Yeah. Uh, the winner gets uh, free um, gets uh, free oversized Magic cards, uh, and the loser gets a stack of tickets. Uh, so that's sort of, I mean, that, that's the setting. That's where we're at. Um, we have, after, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the one playing modern because uh, that is uh, apparently my lot in life when playing team events <laughs> is that uh, the people I team with happen to be legacy players and I'm the, the guy who can somewhat comfortably pilot something that is uh, a little newer to date. Uh, and I'm playing against humans and having uh, seen the other guys finish fairly quickly, uh, we are now in turns of me versus this uh, humans player. Um, and after some, let's just say, fairly rough shenanigans, uh, we've cast uh, cryptic quests like four turns in a row. We've top decked and engineered explosives. We've basically gone from dead on board to we would have won this if this continues. But we're in time. And that's, that's sort of the setting of where the story continues. So we're in time. This is the Swiss. This is... Um, um, winner gets the free paintings, uh, loser gets a bunch of ticks. And so now we sort of sit down with the opposing team and we have to figure out how do we actually split this? Uh, because of course, if we just draw, there's no real official price for drawing this event. So one of us has to win this and we have to split because it. Because the payout is going to be based on, on match points, right? So if you draw, nobody gets the oversized yeah. cards. Exactly. If we draw, nobody gets the, the oversized cards. And the oversized ca- cards are worth a fair bit of money. So, you know, that's an incentive to do something here. Uh, 
Um, this, by the way, is also a setting where we have, I think, two or three judges watching us. <laughs> uh, once we get to the Ready stage. Ready to put so, you to jail. You know, yes. So definitely one of those places. So, you know, for, for the kids out there, uh, this is not the spot for you to just say things. This is the spot for you to drag, over, drag a judge away from the table and be very specific about what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say before you say anything. <laughs> right. Um, so it's a little bit of high pressure. Uh, the judges are sort of looking at us and going, you know, guys, you know, can we wrap up this, this tournament, right? You know, we're in time. We're after the five rounds. You, you kind of have to do something, right? And we're sort of sitting there trying to, uh, and, and we sort of start up the negotiations around how we're going to split this, having clarified with the judges who very clearly told us we're allowed to do a split as long as it only includes the three oversized paintings and a stack of ticks. So we can split that any way we want to as long as nothing else goes on the table and as long as no randomness or any other way of designing is introduced. All right. So that's sort of the setting. That, that's that, And, you know, if that was just it, the story would be fairly boring. <laughs> so what happens is then, I, we, um, having sat there and talked for like five, ten, ten minutes uh, and gathering a little bit of a crowd around us, the, um, the tournament organizer comes up and goes, okay, guys, uh, this is actually, you know, we, we know this is kind of unusual, right? I mean, this, this is a prize that really, you know, uh, you know, I, we get the feeling that really they would have liked to have uh, had a playoff. But that was just not the way they announced the event. Uh, so they kind of wanted this to be a final. So they go, okay, guys, uh, you know, we, we'll record the matches a lot, but can you please just play it out? And then, you know, whoever wins gets the paintings. By the way, which <laughs> paintings are we talking about here? Or uh, oversized. Because uh, it's a Mox Diamond, a Survival, and a Cavern of Swords. Survival of the Fittest Oversized. You, you have me at that. Yeah, there's a lot of oversized cards here. Yeah, that's my jam. That's so, my jam. Okay, so we're sitting there. That first, that's the first thing that happens. At which point we sort of we look at each other as a team. We've been negotiating for like 10, 15 minutes at this point. And we're like, okay, that's a fairly unfair way to end this because if we do this, we know what's going to happen. I'm going to crush the poor side and we're going to run away with the oversized paintings. <laughs> But, you know, the fair rules of magic in the tournament has actually drawn this match. So that's a little, you know, finicky uh, to do. Um, so we kind of disregard that. Um, and we keep arguing for a while until uh, we then reach the conclusion that uh, finally uh, one of our opponents comes up with the uh, split, um, and this is sort of where the story gets interesting, to say, okay, you know, we, and this, by the way, is my human's opponent, I, I just want to clarify here, is nobody really likes the card Cavern of Souls. <laughs> like, Cavern of Souls is a card that should not exist. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, it, it has all the wrong text on it, right? It casts creatures of five different colors of magic. Who really wants to cast creatures, right? I don't know about that. That's, that's not the kind of magic we play Legacy for. It, uh, it has the cards uncounterable on it, which is awful. So how about we just take, you know, if we just get the cavern and we just chop the damn cavern up in half, then we can split the rest and it's a, 
you know, we get a, an oversized card each, we split the tickets, and it's all going to be beautiful, right? This is wonderful. You actually agreed on and that. And we thought we'd talk about it. We talked about it, we're like, you know, hey, on second thought, you know, yeah, we're burning money, but we'll do it fairly spectacularly, right? Because we can film it. <laughs> we can make this a piece of content. This can get to be an event of, you know, the time where we, you know, with a box cutter, just kill the you know how The Nazis were burning We can books. even you guys sell it like tearing up Kevin of Souls, I see. <laughs> yes, we can even sell this Kevin of Souls as the infamous Kevin of Souls that was cut up at, you know, North American Eternal Week in 2019. <laughs> with, you know, a link to the live stream and the videos and the Facebook references and, you know, the bikini girls and all the all the jazz, right? It's going to be great. Yeah, I, I can see it, yeah. <laughs> you, you can see this being a major, major... Event, I would actually right? pay for this type of content to be on my YouTube channel, yes. <laughs> Ah, uh, see? So we can actually make profit out of this. It's not necessarily bad. Could, yeah. And we have both teams agreeing to this. It was wonderful. Um, but, uh, but but the tournament organizer was uh, so sort of, so we got called over to the senior tournament organizer. So this is, uh, I think it's called Nick Cross. So the TO who's been talking to us so far goes, okay, you know, let, let's just, uh, you know, let's, Daddy tells me that guys, you you know you you he would really 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 like for you not to cut open this cabin of souls inside of his tournament hall. <laughs> I mean, whatever you do outside, he cannot stop you. But but please don't do it inside the tournament hall. And you know, there's there's kind of a connotation to. Uh, like he doesn't say there'll be consequences. Like I don't think there will be consequences if we do it outside as well. But you know, he really does not like the idea, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so then what happens? So we, the the whole thing ends up with us uh, going to to him. And by the way, bear in mind that this whole scene has been going on for like forty five minutes at this stage. And you still haven't submitted so this is, your you know, two teams of three each. And you what? still haven't submitted Sorry. your match result yet? Oh, the match slot was done oh, earlier okay. because after the first 20 minutes or so, the TO sort of came to a point where he said, okay, guys, can we just agree that we are going to be splitting okay. this, record this as a draw, and send home the judges? <laughs> okay. Just depressurize this a little mm -hmm. bit. Right? Can we do that, guys? Do we know we're going to split this? I see, I see. So we signed the okay. match slip. Match slip was done. All right, so we go up to Nick, and the, the end of the story ends up being that um, the the tournament organizer finally, sort of, after we were standing there, we're trying to argue our way, spending the first five minutes trying to argue, you know, how big of an event this is going to be when we cut it open, right? <laughs> the fame, the Twitter, the internet account, the, you know, the, the uh, bikini babes that are going to throw themselves at us, you know, how awesome a promotional event this is going to be. And I think the more we talk about how awesome the promotional event is going to be, the more the TO sort of has uh, nightmare pictures of, uh, <laughs> of this thing happening. <laughs> the guy must really like Kevin <laughs> Including maybe, I don't know, maybe Wizards having policy opinions on us cutting up uh, a cabin of souls. I don't know. So uh, the end of the story ends up being that they go, okay, guys, if we just give you both of the teams a cabin of souls, so each of you get a cabin of souls, <laughs> 
can you please promise us not to burn anything and not cut it off, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 just please That's take insane, one. Each. dude. The value. <laughs> <laughs> the value. So we got, we actually managed to increase the price pool from that negotiation. Now, the worst thing is, having spent all of that time, like 45, 50 minutes negotiating, and like we've gotten really used to the idea. I'm actually a little bit sad that we didn't get to cut up that cabin of souls. It's you know what you should have done at that point. You should have threatened to to cut uh, the survival and the mocks. Be like, you know what, we're gonna cut the survival. <laughs> you just keep extorting more and more out of it. I just find it. We're gonna burn oh, this maybe maybe dude. that's what we should have. I just done. find it amazing. I feel like that might have been a little bit un uncivilized to the poor guy who's sitting there just trying to avoid. <laughs> creating a shitstorm in his tournament and like policy issues with wizards. I just find it amazing that there's this like super unique, awesome prize, which is like this oversized card. And then like after a while, eventually it's going to be like, you know what, just like behind this shelf. We actually, we have another one. And who knows how many more. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you, it always makes you wonder about that painting you win with Eternal Weekend. Like, do they just have another one lying around just... Just for it. Well, if anyone should know, you should know. You, you, you've won and sold plenty of those. You, at this point, you actually be, you be, you're like more like an art connoisseur. You, you, you're getting gay. Um, you're getting yourself involved in the international art trading or something. I don't know. Oh, is that you? You make me sound like some sort of super dangerous international man of mystery, Julian. I, I kind exactly. Of like this. this this is basically what what this entire episode is meant to portray you like. <laughs> and I think we did a pretty good job at that. <laughs> Um, oh yes, yes. Yeah. HJ, thank you so much for coming on, for hanging out with us. Like it's super early in the morning for you too, right? These two hours they just flew by. I'm really looking for. Actually, when are you gonna go to China? Am I gonna still see you like anytime soon? And European tournaments? Or are you gonna fly out to China soon? Fifth of January, and then I have for the first month or so, I have a strict travel ban while I am. Uh, getting my residence permit in place. <laughs> uh, and Lord knows what happens after oh, that. Oh, that. Like, I literally have a visa that uh, has, you know, I, I don't think it allows me to exit the country. So. You're actually trapped. <laughs> that's that's a kind of... I am actually trapped. Don't, don't do anything wrong. <laughs> Send help, he says. Yeah, I, I, I hope to... Uh, I, I hope the government will not uh, take offense at me or uh, any of the things that I've told. Yeah. So... Uh, for the, the public, uh, I, I love China. Wonderful country. Please, please receive me. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, some shout outs to our biggest supporters on Patreon right now. Uh, we got Matt Nams, Valerio and Shame Slack on the Eternal Witness tier. And of course, our long supporters, Bachubat, Scott Monroe, Kurush, Alistair and Jeremy Gates, who are supporting us on the Grizzlebrand tier. Thanks, thank you so much. Thanks for everyone tuning in, supporting us, even just like hanging out with us and, and uh, Discord, which is super amazing, or spreading the word about our podcast. We've been doing this for one and a half years now. Uh, I think one and a half years ago, we decided, okay, we really want to run this podcast every other week. And your support has played a big role in allowing us to actually make the room and the time to, to make that work. So thanks a lot for that. If you want to support us in other ways, yeah, spread the gospel. Um, at Eternal MTG is our Twitter account. Uh, I think we might be the largest legacy pod. No, actually, we're not the largest legacy podcast. Of course, there's we're definitely the longest. Yes, that's actually true. We've, we've we've been around for six years now. Even though we 
we had years where we only released like five episodes, but yeah, we've we've been around. <laughs> but no, um, I, I want to say if if you want to support us, you can of course do that on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Everyday Eternal. Or if you if you want to do something else, um, something that also helps us out quite a lot is if you go to iTunes and you leave a review on iTunes, preferably five stars if you think we are worth of that, uh, because that actually makes it easier for people to find us. So if you think more people should be listening to this. Head to iTunes, leave a review, and that's actually going to help a lot with the search algorithm, I was told. So, just mentioning that. And leave more comments about what decks you think I should be playing, <laughs> if it's not NECFIT. Matt, if we can actually convert you to a brainstorming, pondering, sorts to plowsharing, snapcastering, chase-activating mage, that would be the biggest transformation transformation I've ever witnessed in any player ever. That would be something. But then I'd have to rebuy Tundras, and those are expensive now. Says the guy who's got, like, oh, how many please. summer basic lands? Let's, let's not get into that. <laughs> so, Matt, Matt think, about, think about Mystic Sanctuary, right? Think about all of the... I'm sure you... If I know you well, you have some fairly broken sorceries lying around somewhere in your stack. I do. Think about casting them twice. See? I was casting Painful Truth with Eternal Witness before you were even in. And now you mentioned if Eternal Witness was just Just like, just a land drop almost. (laughs) Just your fetch land. Your your fetch land becomes Eternal Witness. Now you you had me at hello. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, we're going to wrap it up with that. Uh, This has been our longest episode ever. I really, really enjoyed myself. Once again, thanks a lot, everyone, for coming on. And see you again next year. Have a great New Year celebration. Have a great start into the New Year. Enjoy yourself. Have a good time. And keep casting those legacy cards. Bye-bye. See ya. And here's to another decade of legacy... Support. Woohoo! Hey, let's go. Let's do it. (laughs) 